Hey, y'all, and welcome to another edition of the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. This is your host, Bud Elliott, uh, the National Recruiting Director of SB Nation. You can follow me on Twitter at SBN Recruiting, and you can follow us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if you may, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, along with a couple other uh, fine podcast outlets. And if you have a suggestion of where else we should be, let us know. This week, I don't really have an overarching topic for the show, but what I wanted to do was talk about the commitments that have been made and the decommitments in the last week or so since our last episode that we talked about uh, you know, which coaches might be the first uh, to win a national championship at some of their new jobs and whatnot. And we got a lot of great feedback on that episode. So today, let, let's talk about some of the recent commitments and what they can do for their upcoming schools and perhaps what those schools' fortunes look like on the recruiting trail. First, I want to start with Josh Moore of Yoakum, Texas. Uh, he was at the IMG Academy, transferred back home uh, to Yoakum, along with his brother, uh, Jordan Moore, who's an A&M commit. Uh, and he uh, committed last weekend to Nebraska over A&M and Florida State. So one Adidas school beating out another Adidas school and a Nike school. Moore is a really, um, really good-looking prospect. I mean, he's, he's over six foot. He's not big. I mean, he's he's very skinny, which I think is encouraging because he might actually add some weight um, at the next level. Bright kid. You talk to him, he, he seems to, to really get it um, and is, I think, going to thrive in that Nebraska offense. And the main reason why is just his total level of of smoothness. The guy's game is just, it's just silky smooth. Uh, change of direction is elite, but it's not – it doesn't look violent. It looks like he's always under control. Uh, he's able to put defensive backs on their heels very quickly. He has good top-end speed. A number of programs uh, have offered him to run track as well uh, and to also potentially play defensive back where, heck, I, I think he might even be a better corner prospect uh, than he is a receiver prospect. But, but an elite-level player, Nebraska is getting there, um, beating out two other top programs, and, and great job uh, by Coach Williams there at Nebraska and, and, and getting that one done. Um, it'll be interested, interesting to see what other prospects look at Nebraska now. The Cornhuskers class is, is doing very well. Ten total commits in the class as of late June. Again, I don't really care about recruiting rankings that much right now, but I know a lot of people do, so we do discuss it on the show. Uh, six of those ten commits are uh, four stars or better, so that's uh, that's always good to see. You want to have more four and five stars than two and three stars if you want to compete for championships. And look, I, I think this might be a rough year for Nebraska on the field. I, I was talking to our our blog coronation, uh, and a couple of those guys were, were telling me, look, this is kind of the year they they have to get by, right? Like they they're gonna win more than than more games in their opinion than, than Vegas thinks they will. But this is the program that is upgrading its talent level over what it had under Bo Pelini for much of it, and that's a good thing. In the, in the Big Ten West, there are now some coaches who can really recruit. We've seen P.J. Fleck, what he could do. Now he's at Minnesota. Iowa's had a pretty good you know, good couple of years. They're not really an elite recruiting program. Uh, but now Nebraska is set up. If if they can keep this thing rolling and can keep adding top, top commit after top commit, they could make some noise in the Big Ten West. And if you win the West, you're only one game away, and it's certainly not an easy game, uh, but you're only one game away from perhaps going to the playoff if you win that Big Ten championship game. Next up, I want to talk about Matthew Jones, a kid out of New York, a wide-bodied guard with, with a lot of power, 
uh, but enough athleticism to be elite. He committed to Ohio State, and finally, something good happened for Ohio State on the recruiting trail. I feel like it's been far too long, at least a couple days since they've received a a new top commit. Uh, So Matt Jones to Ohio State. And with that, Ohio State has now moved into the number one slot in the recruiting rankings. Does that really matter at this point? Not really, no. Uh, But it it is worth noting uh, that that they're there. You'd rather be there than not be there, I, I think. And most importantly, when you look at early recruiting rankings from a team perspective, what you want to see is that the team is not there based on quantity, but rather on quality. And Ohio State certainly fits that bill. Ohio State is number one with only 14 commitments in the class. The, the teams directly behind them, Miami and LSU, have 18 and 19 apiece. So despite having only about two-thirds of the number of commits as the schools behind them, uh, they are still ahead of them. And why? The answer is quality. Ohio State has two five-stars, 11 four-stars, and only one three-star kid in this class. As we know, recruiting rankings of individual players tend to go up more than they go down, right? Because rankings are dynamic, but typically with more vertical mobility. So in thinking about this, most of Ohio State's commits are not going to lose any stars down the stretch. Maybe a couple will, but but most of them will stay about where they are. And that will give them an excellent foundation uh, to add to this class, which, hell, it, it it could be Urban Meyer's best. I'm, I'm not saying that it will be. Uh, he signed a pretty ridiculous class last year that in, in almost any other year uh, would have been number one in the country. Uh, but they have just things absolutely rolling up in Columbus. It, it's the only real school that recruits really like super close to Alabama's level. And there's a number of top names that you think they could add to this class. They, they already have Max Ray, great offensive lineman. I think they're probably still the favorite to add offensive lineman Jackson Carmen to the class. He's an Ohio native, and you just don't see Ohio State. They just don't miss on those Ohio kids very often. Um, They they already have another another top lineman as well in in, in the group, uh, in Petit Frere. And, you know, excuse me, he's he's actually not in the group yet. My bad. I'm trying to read my notes wrong here. And then, uh, you know, they could also add defensive back Anthony Cook. Five-star out of Texas, defensive end Micah Parsons, who's a five-star type, former Penn State commit. Receiver Cameron Babb is a guy with a lot of athleticism that they could easily add to the class. And a lot of people believe, and and I I think I might be in this group, that Jeremy Ruckert is the top tight end in the country. And Ohio State looks really good for him, too. So you're talking about, what, six more truly elite-level prospects that Ohio State could add to its class. and and you know they're going to get in on some other kids. I, I, I'd be interested to see what happens with Cook. Uh, Ohio State did kill it in Texas last year, and they have some connections there. But recruiting in Texas this year is a little bit different than it was last year because you don't have Charlie Strong on the hot seat anymore. You have Tom Herman in his first full year as coach, perhaps making some deeper connections. Certainly the Longhorns are, are not, going to, uh, not going to go quietly there in the Cook, in the, uh, the, the Cook recruitment. But – Right now, Buckeyes, hats off. Just a, a tremendous job with what you're doing there. Next up is uh, Barton Clement, who is a top guard out of Missouri City, Texas. He joined Texas A&M. Not surprising, A&M has done well there uh, before. I got a chance to see uh, Clement back in 
late February, actually, at the Houston uh, Nike camp. Was a little bit shorter than I realized, but measured in at, I think, 6'3", 306 there. And that's that's fine size for a guard, uh, which uh, I think is is likely his future position. I, I would be interested to see if he could play center. Uh, pretty heady kid. I like his quickness, and, and I like I, I like his mean streak. He, he's not afraid uh, to, to put his helmet in somebody's chest and, and, and drive them. And, and certainly sometimes guys who are just so much physically better than everybody else at the high school level, occasionally they'll just kind of get by on their physical talents. But but he has an intensity to him when the lights come on that, that, that I like a lot. Uh, A&M's class right now is doing quite well, uh, number nine. In the country, uh, six, five, six four stars, seven three stars, total of 13 commits. That's a pretty good start. Now, the question with AM, as always, is going to be can they hold it together? Um, much like their fast starts on the field, can they hold these fast recruiting starts off the field together? I know they were disappointed to lose out in, in Josh Moore, uh, but looking at this, I, I think they have a shot to do so as long as Kevin Sumlin is able to keep his job. If I'm an opposing coach, I'm certainly going to use the athletic director's comments uh, that that he made, uh, you know, about someone's job security and use them against them on the recruiting trail. Uh, but as of now, A&M's doing a great job on the recruiting trail. You have to like that. Now, what will happen down the stretch? I don't know. There are some kids though in this class that that I really like. Uh, I I like Leon O'Neill Jr. a lot. Uh, now he is a guy who I think could end up as like a big nickel linebacker. He's six one, listed at one hundred ninety. I've seen him in person. I've seen him cover. Uh, he, he looks thicker. I think he has the ability to play safety, and it's important that you have guys when you have to play so much nickel and sub package and dime stuff. Even the SEC, as teams use more and more spread, it's very important that you have guys in the secondary who can hit and who can tackle as well as cover. I think O'Neal at safety or at, in sort of a, a nickel role would be really interesting because he is such a physical guy. He's very strong. When you look at him, he plays strong. He looks strong. He is strong. I also like the versatility that you get out of Max Wright. I mean, he has some he has some explosion in his game, but I, I think you could put him as a five tech. I, I think he could play a four. I think he could play some six. Uh, a, a dude who who seems to get it can play all over the field for you. Those are AM's top two commits uh, right now, along with an, another top guard, Luke Matthews, out of Missouri City, Texas. Not the same high school as Barton Clement, uh, but but he's another highly rated kid. We'll see what happens with, with, with Jordan Moore. And then I think Colton Blanton down the line uh, could could turn into something. If you look at him and, and, and you, you stare him in the face, you see he's still maturing uh, physically. But he's already 6'6", 6'5", something like that, 270-ish. You give him a year in the weight room, maybe a year to sit and watch, and by year three, I think Blanton could be a, a, a pretty darn good player. So a, a nice uh, selection of defensive players for AM and then also offensive linemen coming in, assuming they can hold on to Coach Sumlin. And even if they don't, I think there's a good number of kids that they could actually hold on to anyway. All right, next up, wanted to discuss uh, Dakarian Joyner this weekend going to South Carolina, a, a kid who is a very intriguing option. At quarterback, I've had a chance to talk with him. I've had a chance to watch him uh, on a number of days. And the first thing that jumps out to you is, is the athleticism. Certainly, he is capable. And look, a lot of schools are recruiting him like this of playing running back or receiver or, or corner. 
that kind of lets you know he's not just a guy. Hey, he's very athletic. He no, he's like legitimately very good SEC athletic with plus size. I mean, he's six two, two hundred or or thereabouts. But he's a kid who's very very intent on playing quarterback at the next level. Uh, and I have to admire his, his work and work ethic because on day one of the Elite Eleven, he was bad. I mean, just I, I you could tell he, he something was off, and and I, I was like, man, this he's just not throwing it well at all. Uh, but he fought through it. On day two and day three, he was much better. And I, I spoke with him. He said I, I was you know, I was pretty nervous uh, at, at the Elite Eleven camp on day one. Now, was he one of the best passers out there to lead 11? No, he still has a lot of work to do. But if I if I was basing my evaluation on him just on that one day of camp, I would have said, no way can this kid play quarterback. If I base it on all three, I'm going to say, I think he has a shot to do so. Now, is it going to happen early? Probably not. They already have Jake Bentley there at South Carolina, but they want to use more quarterback mobility in that offense. It's very clear. It's something Will Muschamp tried to recruit to more uh, at Florida as well, and, and ultimately the QB recruiting at Florida under Muschamp was just a complete disaster. Uh, but a situation like like having Bentley there for probably two more years, maybe three, let Joyner develop uh, at an appropriate pace, not, you, not try to use him too much before he's ready. He certainly has a good arm. He's thrown for a lot of yards in high school, and, and look, college is in high school, but I think there's some potential there, and, and I think South Carolina is a good spot for him, assuming that their offense can get going because of the fact that he is going to sit behind Bentley. Uh, the release needs a little bit of work. Uh, the footwork is coming along. Uh, but, I, man, I, I was encouraged, and, and I, I root for all these kids. So I was encouraged that he was able to get there when he struggled, he didn't let it get him too down, right? He just kept fighting through. He kept working through, kept taking the coaching, got better on days two and three. You saw the confidence start to emerge again. Uh, and and I, I was real happy for him. So DeCarry and Joyner now the top-rated commit in South Carolina's class, their first uh, four-star of the year. There's some good thoughts on, on him. I know South Carolina fans don't really like me because I, I don't think their, their program has as much upward mobility as they do, given the fact that it's it's in South Carolina, it's the you know number two program in a state that doesn't produce that much talent, and it's also in the SC East, which has Florida and Georgia and Tennessee, among others, in that same division. But I can see them doing a little bit better than, than they've done in, in their history. Probably not reaching those years where they won eleven games too often, but you know, if they're consistently going to bowls at South Carolina, that's a lot better than they've done in their you know, hundred year history or so. That's encouraging. Um, and they're making some noise, and I think they're making some good evaluations, too. South Carolina as a program, you do see them typically, and they don't land a lot of these kids, but they are oftentimes one of the early schools to offer kids who end up being really good. So I think they are a good scouting school. And, and there are certain schools out there, I've talked about this before, uh, some, and I, I got something coming out on this, so I don't want to talk about it too much, but there are some schools out there that, that scout better than others, and there are some schools out there who are better salespeople than others. Scouting better than others can work as a sales tool if you do it right. And by right, I mean you're one of the first first schools to offer a kid. That, that matters for a lot of these kids, and it matters maybe even more than it should, if we're being honest, because they're, they're saying, hey, I saw you first. 
we believed in you first, right? We didn't just say, okay, now that everybody likes you, we're, we're going to like you too. You know, being first matters a lot to some of these kids. That is a tactic and a smart one that South Carolina uses on a recruiting trail. So I think that's a good, a good recruiting staff or good scouting staff at least. We'll just see how many more elite kids that they're able to pull. Next up here have Al Blades Jr., a top defensive back and a Miami legacy several times over. Committing to who else? The Hurricanes. And look, I think most people, myself included, believed that he had already done this a long time ago and was just silent and, and was waiting on that special event uh, to to go public with, with, with the, the the commitment that I think had been made silently a long time ago. And and he did that. And, and now Miami has a really good player in the fold. I, I know some people are down on Blades. They don't think he's a true corner. They think maybe he's more of a safety. I say he's a playmaker, all right? I, whether he ends up at corner or safety, he's got some length to him. He's six foot and a half. He's 175. He's got some really good moves, too, when he has the ball in his hand. I, I saw him juke a, a pretty good player just totally out of his jock uh, d- down there in the Miami Dolphins practice facility at one of these Nike events back in – I guess March or April or, or whenever that was. Very impressive kid. You talk to him, you can tell he's a bright kid. He, you know, he's somebody you can interview as well, and a charismatic kid as all get out. And and I think, I think Al Blaze is very quickly going to become one of the best recruiters for the Miami Hurricanes because of the legacy, because of the personality, because he knows the history of Miami as well. And and you can tell he truly believes in the vision that Mark Richt and those guys have for that program. And I also think it says something that by current rankings, he is the only the fifth best player in Miami's class. Now, I don't agree with those rankings, by the way, okay? I, I, I've i seen every single one of Miami's commits in person this year, so I feel pretty, pretty qualified to speak on this. And I've also watched their film. Uh, the top 10 right now, by 247 is Lorenzo Lingard, Brevin Jordan, Arthur Sikowski, or Arthur Sikowski, uh, Josh Job, Blades Jr., Mark Pope, Brian Hightower, Gervin Hall, Gilbert Frierson, uh, and Cleveland Reed. I, w- I would swap that around a little bit. I like Brevin Jordan a lot. I would not have him over Josh Job. I would not have him over Mark Pope. And I probably would not have him over Al Blades. Additionally, Sikowski is an interesting prospect, but right now, He's really not that good. He's just all tools. He, he had a real bad year uh, as a junior up in New Jersey. We'll see how he does at the IMG Academy. I, I assume he'll improve. Most every quarterback that goes there does, and in part because of the fact that you're you're playing with just you know such top level uh, players around you. For my money, uh, the top three in Miami's class, in some order, and I, I think it's t- it's tough to totally say w- which order, but Lorenzo Lingard. Josh Job, Mark Pope are, are my top three, and I think it's pretty clear. And then I think your, your fourth guy, if you want, would be either Blades Jr. or Brevin Jordan. I love Lingard as a running back. The Todd Gurley comparisons are there. I don't think he's quite as good as Todd Gurley, but I think he's one of the better backs to come out of Florida um, since Dalvin Cook. So that, that's that's I'm not saying he's Dalvin Cook good either, but you know one of the best backs in the state of Florida since Dalvin Cook. Mark Pope is just a total playmaker. Um, Got to like his game. We have a great video of him on our State of the U Miami site. You can go pull up in their video section. And then Josh Job, 
yes, he's he's older than his grade level, significantly so by by I think almost two years, if if uh, if I recall. Um, certainly looks it. I mean, he looks like a grown man, but he is he's just phenomenal. I mean, good length, a lot of strength. Yet he has the hips and the foot quickness to stay with receivers. I mean, does he outgrow the position? I don't know, but I, I do know he's a heck of a football player and somebody that uh, I really think every school in the country uh, would take and would be really excited to take. I like Miami's class quite a bit. It's not the number one class anymore. Ohio State took it over. I get that, uh, and, and I, I agree with that. But you know, Richard Johnson and I several months ago debated where Miami's class would end up when they were number one. And I think I said seventh or eighth. I have to go back and check the notes there. I still like their chances to land a top 10 class. And I think they have some shot uh, to land a top five class. So that's very, very interesting there. Next up is Oklahoma, who added uh, Tremonda Moore out of Independence, Kansas. He was the number one rated junior college offensive tackle in the country. Uh, Oklahoma has had good success with, with, with junior college players over the year. I think they do a good job of scouting them. And that's a big get for them under new coach Lincoln Riley, who obviously Bob Stoops uh, retired two weeks ago, and Oklahoma's recruiting has really not missed a beat. Prior to that, they they almost immediately flipped uh, Ron Tatum from Texas. He's a top defensive end. He was a Texas commit, um, not from Texas, but they they flipped him from Texas's class. He's out of Oklahoma, so they got him in the Oklahoma fold. Uh, and then right after Tremonda Moore, they picked up Tavian Thomas, who, who's a, a Really big-time running back, great size on him as well. The Sooners right now are rolling on the recruiting trail. There's also a real shot they could pick up Anthony McKinney, who's a fellow junior college offensive tackle. I mean, to land two top junior college offensive tackles in the same class, you really have to like your chances of having one of those guys hit and be a pretty good player and immediate starter for you. And every school would love to have an immediate starter at offensive tackle. Those guys are just very difficult to find. Um, now, there was some noise about T.J. Pledger and, and Nebraska. Pledger is one of the, uh, the top running backs in the country. I, he's currently ranked uh, number 47 in the nation. I, I have a, a little bit lower than that, to be honest. I, I think he's more kind of in that um, maybe 75 to 150 range, but we'll see how things shake out there. Uh, just my personal opinion on, on a kid. Look, they, these things vary wildly across the board. So he uh, vi- visiting Nebraska with a fellow Nebraska Pledge uh, and IMG teammate, uh, Brendan Radley Howes, and that's uh, something Oklahoma fans are watching. But but I'm not necessarily anticipating that Pledger is going to flip. I think it's possible. We spoke about Nebraska earlier in the podcast, how well they're doing in recruiting right now too. But uh, But Oklahoma, certainly rolling. The Sooners are also in on Joseph Skates, who's one of the top receivers in the country. Oklahoma has put a lot of receivers in the NFL. In fact, over the last decade, no team has put more receivers in the NFL draft than Oklahoma. They have 10. I had to look this up the other day because I I run a separate podcast and I was talking about this for a different school. Very interesting, though. Oklahoma with receivers, they've had great success. They throw the ball around a lot. um, And yet, the league seems to like Oklahoma receivers more than it does other Big 12 programs for some reason. Or maybe that's just because Oklahoma recruits the position so well that they've always had top talent and have developed it pretty well. But yeah, Joseph Skates, another guy who could join Oklahoma. And look, 
reading some of the tea leaves here, I think there are more top kids who could jump into the Sooners class very soon. So the the recruiting battle between Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman in the Big 12 is fascinating. And if you're the Big 12, just purely from the recruiting standpoint, you got to be fist pumping right now because you you can't be a super elite conference in the Big 12 if your top programs are like Oklahoma State and Baylor. And I'm not trying to rip on those schools, but they're just not true alpha dogs in that league. This is kind of the same argument that we had in the ACC a decade ago to where it was, well, if your top schools are Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech and Boston College, can, can you really – yeah, they're, they're having really nice years. They're, they're good programs, or back then they were at least in the case of Boston College. But can they truly carry a league? And the answer for me was always no. They, they can't. And the reason is there's just a level that the, the elite of the elite programs, and maybe not elite elite teams, but elite of the elite programs, there's just a level they can go to. There's a gear they can shift into, to use the car analogy, that the other schools don't have. And it doesn't mean they can always shift into that, that gear. But to know it's there if they're operating at peak efficiency, if you got that engine tuned up just right, that you can hit that. That the, the potential that that allows you to have is just greater than some of these schools that don't have that. All right, now let's shift more, even more to the West Coast and go talk about Oregon. Oregon landed over the weekend uh, Warren Thompson, one of the top receivers in the country, uh, top 25 receiver, pretty solid four-star out of Armwood High School. In Sefner, Florida, if you're wondering where that is, uh, on se- it's on the 75 I-4 uh, exchange. Just go a couple miles east of that exchange, and you'll hit it on I-4. Um, multiple-time state champion, one of the best programs in Florida. And look at Willie Taggart using his uh, his Tampa connections from his time at USF to help land Warren Thompson. Uh, that's the second top kid from Florida, uh, and specifically from the Tampa area that Oregon has pulled. And they've pulled more kids out of Florida than that. But uh, the, the, the second real top kid to go along with Isaiah Bolden, who they flipped from Florida State. Uh, for, speaking of Florida State, this was actually a kid that Florida State legitimately wanted in, in Warren Thompson and who, from my understanding, they're going to continue to recruit down the stretch. It's not like they're going to say, okay, whatever, like Oregon, cool, because Oregon's a couple thousand miles away from home. And we have seen before that Oregon is very good at getting kids to commit from Florida, but not always getting them to stick uh, six, eight, ten months later when it comes time to sign on the dotted line. But that's a heck of a get for for Oregon. He's a big frame kid, uh, goes up and and occasionally attacks the ball really well. I'd like to see him dominate a little bit more, but I heard he had a great weekend at the IMG seven-on-seven stuff, uh, which which I did not get to attend because I was at a a pre-existing obligation. Um, Warren Thompson, I'm a fan. I I think he's actually uh, a a really, really nice prospect and a good get for Oregon, whose class now is number seven in the country. I kind of snuck up on some people, including, to be honest, uh, myself a little bit. I I did not think they would recruit this well in year one, but Willie Taggart is just hitting the ground running here, and he absolutely has to. Uh, Now, it'd be good if they can get some more studs on defense, but they're doing that. I think their offensive talent there at Oregon is already pretty loaded. And Willie Taggart has always been a great recruiter. It's just what he does. He, he's a he's a guy that goes out and gets the studs. And, and here he did it again with Thompson. 
Uh, earlier in the week, they had flipped uh, uh, Braden Lindsay, who's an, actually an Oregon kid, back from Notre Dame. That's another nice get for them. That's a heck of a, uh, a receiver duo, if that's indeed what they end up playing. And then they picked up a uh, an offensive tackle who I actually don't know a whole lot about, uh, Christopher Rendazzo, out of California. I do think it's instructive, though, to look at, at the homes of where these kids are from in Oregon's class. And, and let, let's do so now. California, Florida, Colorado, Florida, Oregon, California, North Carolina, Oregon, California, Florida, Arizona, California, California. Only two of the kids in, in this class out of 13 are from Oregon. That's a good thing. You don't want to take too many Oregon kids. There really aren't many good football players who can play for Oregon in the state of Oregon. So going out and winning out-of-state battles has always been something that Oregon has had to do, and they're doing it now, and they're doing it under Willie Taggart. And this is going to be so key because we've talked about this before. Oregon under Willie Taggart does not have the luxury of being in the same spot that maybe a Chip Kelly or Mark Helfrich did when you go in because in the North, for the most part, those guys just had to fight one school. Stanford. Washington wasn't what it is now when Helfrich and, and, and Chip Kelly were there. But now Washington is a legitimate recruiting power uh, by the standards of the Pac-12 North, and Stanford just had one of its best classes ever. Things are actually much tougher, I think, for Taggart than they were for Chip Kelly, uh, or especially for, for Mark taking over. And yet Willie's embracing the challenge, and, and, and look, the, you know, Taggart and his staff, Mario Cristobal and those guys are doing a great job up there uh, in in uh, in Oregon. Shifting now to a, a bombshell uh, for the recruiting world, especially for folks who maybe don't follow recruiting all that closely, but Southern California kid, quarterback, five-star, Matt Corral, uh, decommitted from USC. We had heard rumors this was going to happen at the Elite 11. We, we weren't sure exactly which school uh, would get him. And to be honest, I'm still not. But now things are becoming a little bit more clear we knew that Alabama uh, was involved with Corral uh, and also to some extent Jack Tuttle, the kid out of San Diego who's committed to Utah. Uh, but also Georgia seems pretty heavily involved. Florida, which is still searching for a quarterback, uh, is also quite involved. Now Tom Loy of 247 Sports uh, reports that Nebraska uh, is also involved and that Corral uh, wants to make a couple of visits before he uh, makes his decision. I think that's really smart. Take some visits. Uh, you know, take your time. You you have all the time in the world. Pretty much every school out there uh, will wait on you, but those schools do want to make sure that you're making the right decision. So um, some people think George is probably the front runner in this, and, and that'd be interesting considering they just signed two five-star quarterback types back-to-back in Jacob Eason and Jacob Fromm uh, out of Washington and Georgia, uh, respectively, in, in back-to-back years. But, hey, maybe Corral thinks he can go there and earn some playing time, or maybe he's not one of these guys who is obsessed with early playing time. I'd applaud him for that if so. That'll be really interesting to follow there, and and there will be ramifications where he goes uh, throughout the Southeast, but also now where does USC turn? I mentioned Jack Tuttle, the Utah commit. Jack Tuttle and his family, they love Utah. I spoke to them about this uh, at the Elite 11 and at the uh, the, the Nike uh, camp there in L.A. back in April. And they're just all about Utah. They love that Utah offered first. They're, they, they love the coaching staff at Utah. But I've seen this before, and 
USC is just different. They 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 have that sort of like Alabama type recruiting pull for any kid west of the Mississippi, especially west of the Rockies. And I would not be surprised if USC is able to get some real movement on Jack Tuttle and at least make him consider them uh, pretty hard. Remember, he committed to Utah uh, before he had actual interest from USC. So now now things have changed. That's what I'm going to be monitoring quite a bit because quarterback recruiting is never quite as simple as it seemed. Next guy up here is Kyler McMichael, uh, a top player out of Atlanta, uh, listed as a corner. I think he's a, a really nice player uh, and, and a good get who went public today, uh, today being Friday, for Clemson. Uh, Clemson's class now at 12 commits. They don't have a whole lot of space left. Pound for pound, though, probably the best class in the country if you go with just their star average. Uh, really, really nice class that the Tigers are putting together. I've got a nice article coming out on that uh, pretty soon, by the way. So make sure you look for that. But with the Tigers, uh, their defense is so aggressive. I would love to see how they use McMichael in blitz packages. He has great explosion. The hips are are very interesting. I want to see how he holds up there as a true corner. He could also play safety. I think he'd also be very interesting with the ball in his hands on returns, but but that's a very solid get uh, for the Tigers, and I think that they will find the right role for him, as Brent Venable's defense typically does. Clemson currently number five in the country, uh, two five-stars, six four-stars, and three three-stars, but if you, if you look at them, I mean, the, the, the numbers next to these kids' names are, are just ridiculous. Trevor Lawrence, the number one quarterback in the country and the number one overall player in the country. Xavier Thomas, the number two player in the country. Save the top two kids in the entire nation. Darian Kendrick, he's, a top, he's, a, he's the number one kid in the state of South Carolina. Uh, you know, top 100 player, number 13 receiver. Kyler McMichael, obviously. Uh, the Justin Maskell kid out of, of Georgia is maybe a little bit underrated, at, at, you know, outside the top, uh, top 100 there. Mike Jones, the outside linebacker at the IMG Academy. Really, really quick. Not not long, but 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 quick. He's quick and thick, but he's not long. Uh, and I, I think that'll be fine in Clemson's defense. They've had some guys uh, succeed there like him before. And uh, you know, very few kids in this class are are kids who are, you know, you're kind of like, ah, why would they take him with so few spots? For the most part, all these kids in this class can really play. It's it's a damn good good class for Clemson, and and one you'd expect them to sign, I think, with the exception of the uh, the lack of class size after winning the national title. All right, just two more to go now. Again, you're listening to the SP Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast, and want to keep this thing fresh. Uh, TK Chibedza out of the IMG Academy is a four star kid. Gave his pledge on Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday, excuse me, to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech uh, has not done a good job recruiting in recent years that you don't have a whole lot of juice on the trail. But with kids who are really interested in education and kids specifically who like uh, maybe engineering majors or majors that involve math and kids who are pretty bright, Georgia Tech does seem to have a fighting chance with some of those kids in the Southeast. Uh, TK is a real bright kid and he's also a real stout kid. Defensive tackle, probably 6'1", 300, good quickness, uses his hands well. IMG teaches their defensive linemen very well. I've seen them work in practice, and, and the the individual work they get with their defensive tackles coach, whose name, damn it, it escapes me, but 
the, the work they do there is really impressive. That that looks like more of a college football practice than any high school I've ever been to. And the, the way they drill, how many reps they get in, the attention to detail, the film review that they do, even of practice, really impressive. So that, that's a great get for Georgia Tech. So TK becomes the first uh, blue chip kid, first four or five star in Georgia Tech's class. Georgia Tech's class currently rates uh, just 64th nationally, but that is five spots ahead of Alabama, uh, who is 69th nationally. And and maybe we should talk about that for a second. A lot of people are, are asking, what what's up with Alabama? Why are they recruiting so poorly? And, and look, Alabama is not taking a bunch of scrubs in this class. They're just starting more slowly. And I do think that actually makes some sense if you look at what has happened to the program over the last couple months. And mainly what I mean by this is staff turnover. You have a lot of new faces in Alabama. Yes, they still have Loxley, who's now in an on-field coaching position. Yes, they help, they, they still have Tosh Lupoy. But look at some of the other spots, particularly on offense. They have uh, a, a, a new offensive coordinator. They have new coaches at other positions. I, I think those guys are going to take a little while to get to know their kids. They also you know, just had, had one of their camps. They're going to have another one. And Alabama is one of the best scouting staffs in the country. They make good evaluations at camps, and oftentimes they, they will offer kids with no offers who then blow up and become four or occasionally even five-star type players. If you're an Alabama fan out there, I would not worry about your recruiting class. And I can't really believe I have to say this other than that some people have asked me about this on Twitter and on social media. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Recruiting. Um, like to tweet a lot and li- like to share a lot of the great content from our, our team blog website. So, um, not worried about the tide. Uh, I think they'll they'll still easily finish with the top five class in, unless something really weird happens in terms of their ability to take a, a large class like they usually do. But I do think that Alabama streak at number one, you know, could be in a little bit of jeopardy. It's it's certainly possible. All right, wrapping up here now is uh, Chris Curry, the running back out of Lehigh High School to LSU. And this is a kid who I think is just criminally underrated. According to the current rankings, he's the 24th best running back in the country and not even a four-star. And and that, to me, is is pretty laughable. I mean, you're looking at a kid, and yes, I know he broke his leg, and I think that has something to do with the the lack of, of ranking right now because of, you know, he did miss some games. But Damn, when you put on his film, that's one of the better backs in the country. I mean, and LSU, very smart to, to get him and take his commitment out of Florida, uh, especially with, with a number of the Florida schools going light uh, on, on running backs are already being locked up with some kids. When I look at Chris Curry, what do I see? Uh, first of all, I see a guy 5'10 and a half, 5'11, probably 210, uh, could probably play at 220 eventually. The top end speed, not, not really there. He's not a true top-end burner. But what I do see is great agility for his size. I see excellent acceleration for his size. He has first-step quickness. And in a running back, a lot of times I would rather have quickness than top-end speed, especially if he's a guy with some size to him who can run somebody over. And I think Curry most definitely is. He, he likes to think of himself, and I know the kid a little bit, likes to think of himself as Marshawn Lynch. Uh, type and he does have some of those violent tendencies when he runs. He he has quick feet. 
He always always keeps him churning, seems to constantly be moving forward. That's a hell of a get for LSU. And LSU right now is recruiting extremely well. That's a kid, if you want to look at, at a recruiting class that will likely see its ranking move up quite a bit, I think LSU is one you need to look at. Um, now, I don't mean that necessarily like their class ranking overall is going to rise because other people are going to get commitments too. They already have 19 there in Baton Rouge. But it's hard for me to believe that half of LSU's class is rated three stars or, or, or less. Right now they have 19 commits, nine blue chips, 10 non. And, and I think a number of the kids in this class are perhaps four-star quality. I think a couple of these kids in this class are going to see bumps, and, and I would expect LSU under Ed Orgeron uh, to sign a top-five class this year. Everything looks like it's coming together really well for the Tigers. If they go out and have a nice year on the field, uh, top-five seems very much in reach for the Bayou Bengals, and, and that's a great get with, with, with Chris Curry. I, I like him a lot and, and uh, a player who I think can play uh, and play well at the SEC level. That'll wrap it up for the SB Nation College Football Recruiting Podcast. We will try to join you next week with a, uh, a preview episode for the opening. And then after that, I will likely do one uh, recapping the opening, and then we're going to take a week off. So two more before we take a break, and I'll have a co-host on my next podcast or two. So thanks for listening, everybody. Please do uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Maybe, maybe leave us a review if you, if you like the show. And uh, if you don't, maybe wait a little bit until we get more consistent co-hosts on here to uh, to leave your feedback. So thanks, y'all.